2: Hey, how you doing, folks? This is Uncle Jimmy. Welcome to Whitlock's Weekly Updates. This is when I go back and highlight the fire starters that he dropped on you periodically all throughout the week. On Monday's show, he's going to talk about the Waukesha tragedy, and it must be politicized, or the Waukesha tragedy must be politicized after a letter from the Wisconsin senators calls for it not to be. Think about that now. It's politicized, but they sent out a letter Saying don't make it be, hmm. Take a listen and see what you think about that.
1: Uh, Wisconsin U.S. Senators Tammy Baldwin, Democrat, and Ron Johnson, Republican, released a joint statement Saturday asking outside groups to stop exploiting the Waukesha massacre for political purposes. Writing, quote, It has come to our attention that outside individuals or groups may attempt to exploit the tragedy that occurred last Saturday in Waukesha for their own political purposes. As the US senators representing Wisconsin, one from each political party, we are asking anyone considering such action to cease and desist, end quote. According to media reports, the statement was crafted because some conservative pundits blasted CNN, MSNBC, and other left-leaning media outlets for downplaying the story and or rapidly moving on from it. The bipartisan statement is as pointless as asking infamous bank robber John Dillinger to stop using a Colt 32 pistol. The style of gun didn't make Dillinger an unrepentant criminal is immorality did. America's fight for political power has descended to a seemingly unprecedented level of immorality. Ambitious politicians quickly turn human tragedy into political capital. The Baldwin Johnson statement is not only pointless, it's clueless. It epitomizes the kind of cowardly leadership pervasive within American politics. The statement is a virtue signal that pretends diplomacy is the antidote for wickedness, that peace is possible with people who have no regard for objective truth. Why should Waukesha be exempt from the political examination lens applied to everything else? Would ignoring the political implications of the alleged crimes of Darrell E. Brooks jumpstart the cleansing of American politics? I think just the opposite. Failing to fully publicly explore and explain what drove Brooks to commit mass murder would only allow the evil to further metastasize. Declining to contrast corporate media's handling of the Waukesha massacre to Charlottesville, January 6th, and the Rittenhouse trial provides unwarranted and unhealthy cover to the racist sowing American anarchy and division the alleged sins and radicalization of Daryl Brooks must be scrutinized thoroughly, aggressively, and publicly. This isn't about settling the score between conservatives and liberals. It's about assessing the cost of mainstreaming and normalizing critical race theory and gangster rap culture across our primary communication and information platforms. Daryl Brooks appears to be a direct reflection of what the American zeitgeist, for those of you that don't know, that's the spirit of the time, the attitude of the time, says a black man should be angry, emotional, profane, violent, racist, and criminal. A racist would argue Brooks was born this way. A liberal would argue that poverty and anti-black racism molded Brooks into a monster. Having been born black and poor in America, I would argue that the zeitgeist has maintained a culture that rewards and baits black men to exhibit emotion, anger, violence, profanity, racism, and criminality. Corporate media, Hollywood, the music industry, and social media apps are the maintainers of this intentionally crippling culture. That's why left-leaning news platforms, Hollywood movies, commercial rap music, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, smear any black man who criticizes the self-destructive tenets of black culture as coons, Uncle Toms, and sellouts. Is there a particular political party in bed with CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, Hollywood, the rap music industry, and big tech? Is there a particular political party that believes its ideology defines blackness? The Waukesha massacre needs to be politicized. The racist political strategy of the Democratic Party helped radicalize Darryl Brooks. The Democrats told black people a government check could replace the black father. The Democrats tell black people the matriarchy is better than the patriarchy. The Democrats tell black people to see themselves as perpetual victims to an irredeemably racist country rather than as conquerors of America's sins. The Democrats tell black people to abandon our religious beliefs in pursuit of political power. The Democrats convince black people that obedience to Barack Obama could do more for us than obedience to God. The Democrats tell us to treat skin color and sexual preference as idols more important than our identity in Christ. Daryl Brooks' social media posts read like a Black Lives Matter diary. He hated the police. He called for violence against white people. He praised Hitler. He bragged about being a pimp. As a rapper under the name Math Boy Fly, he promoted drug use and criminality. You ain't Democrat if you ain't Daryl Brooks. It makes sense for corporate media and the other gatekeepers of black culture to bury the Waukesha massacre. They want to avoid accountability for what they created. They can't explain why a black man mowing down and killing six white people in Waukesha is less sinister and racist than a white man killing one white woman in Charlottesville. They can't explain their outrage and animus towards Kyle Rittenhouse and indifference to Daryl Brooks. They can't explain immediately casting everyone involved with January 6th as a white supremacist while searching for additional proof of Brooks' bigotry. I get the reluctance of the gatekeepers to publicize or to politicize the Waukesha massacre. I understand Tammy Baldwin's motivation too. She's a Democrat. Her party's entire strategy is predicated on racial deception, hypocrisy, and division. Ron Johnson, he's a fool and a coward. Like most politicians, he's unwilling to stand on truth. Initially, he had no problem attacking the duplicity of the left as it related to Waukesha. He folded. He foolishly thinks there's value in making peace with people who believe men can get pregnant and men and women armed with flagpoles tried to overthrow the U.S. government. There will be no peace until truth is restored.
2: On Tuesday's show, Jason talks about Kanye's Thanksgiving prayer. He said that it was a sign of the dangers of marrying a feminist. I beg to differ. I think it's the signs of marrying a Kardashian. Check it out.
1: Kanye West, Married the wrong whore. I'm not talking about Kim Kardashian. I'm referring to fame. Kardashian is the other F word. She's a feminist, which is just as bad. Fame is Kanye's true love the addiction that alternately tortures and pleases him, the obsession that has turned his life into the Truman Show, the fixation that caused him to abandon the name his mother gave him and relentlessly pursue a woman who loves transactionally. Kanye West is a fame whore and a cuck. His relationship with Kardashian is emblematic of an American male culture that chases social media approval and disavows man's natural leadership instincts to maintain peace at home with a feminist spouse. A seductive tramp brought a billionaire rapper to his knees. But Kim Kardashian is really just a symptom of Yee's fame addiction you laughing? I'm calling him Ye, you call him Ye. She's the crack pipe lost beneath the driver's seat of his car. She's a clue to the depth of his descent and addiction. At 19, while high on ecstasy, she married a music producer. At 26, she fueled her celebrity with a leaked sex tape. At 31, she married a journeyman NBA player. By age 33, she was married to Kanye West. Today, as of this show, the mother of four is in a relationship with a 28-year-old comedian. On Thanksgiving Day, Kanye released a five-minute self-emasculating video begging for Kim Kardashian to take him back and copying to a laundry list of wrongdoings. He called the video a prayer, and a choir sang in the background. It was not a prayer. It was a confession to a false god, the fame whore, delivered at the altar of social media. Here's some highlights from
0: Kanye's Thanksgiving prayer. On this Thanksgiving, I'm so thankful for family, my blood family, my fans and our haters. We love you too. All I think about every day is how I get my family back together and how I heal the pain that I've caused. I take accountability for my actions. New word alert, misactions. The one thing that all my successes and failures have in common is me. Let's start with A, alcohol. I would drink to take the stress away, to knock the edge off. Drinking affected my health and the health of people around around me because I already had a hair-trigger temper and this just heightened it. B, episodes. I went into a manic episode in 2016 and I was placed under heavy medication. Since then, I went on and off the medication, which left me susceptible to other episodes, which my wife and family and fans have had to endure. When I got saved, it did not immediately make me a better person. It made me a self-righteous Christian. I was arrogant with my Jesus, like I had just got me some Jesus at the Gucci store with a stimulus check. Let's go with politics here. Good Lord, my wife did not like me wearing the red hat. Being a good wife, she just wanted to protect me and our family. I made me and our family a target by not aligning with Hollywood's political stance and that was hard for our marriage. Then I ran for president without proper preparation and no allies on either side. I embarrassed my wife in the way that I presented information about our family during the one and thank God only press conference. I've had to learn that I had to take accountability. We always judge and tell other people what they should do, but we can only take accountability for ourselves and our children. This Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for the family that my wife has given me. As far as celebrities go, Kanye
1: West is a darling of conservatives. He supported President Donald Trump He professes Christian faith. From the single Jesus Walks to the album Jesus is King, West is one of the few commercial rappers who explores Christian themes. I've always defended Kanye, but his thanksgiving prayer and his work with Lil Nas X on the song Industry Baby make me suspicious of Kanye's true motive and unable to sympathize with his journey. Religion is just another tool Kanye is using to pursue fame. Any heterosexual man can relate to being madly in love with the wrong woman. What's unrelatable, or at least grossly unsavory, is using God, a choir, and prayer in pursuit of that woman. Kanye's Thanksgiving prayer should be retitled, Kim is King. Replay one of those comments from Kanye
0: in Thanksgiving prayer. Good Lord, my wife did not like me wearing the red hat. Being a good wife, she just wanted to protect me and our family. I made me and our family a target by not aligning with Hollywood's political stance, and that was hard for our marriage. Kanye just explained why many men, particularly
1: black men, are reluctant to support Trump and or admit that they reject the left's undermining of the patriarchy. Men fear losing their wives and girlfriends. It's the brilliance of the Democratic Party and corporate media painting Trump as the second coming of Adolf Hitler and Ted Bundy rolled into one US president. Trump, is a wedge issue inside a marriage or a relationship. Women see him as a racist predator. Weak men go along with the charade. Trump support is a lethal issue within a relationship dependent on fame. Kim Kim Kardashian has no real issue with Trump. In her quest to defend people she deemed wrongfully convicted of crime, Kardashian rolled in and out of the White House whenever she felt like it. She wanted Kanye to keep a safe distance and not publicly wear his true political views. It sounds like a reasonable request inside of a marriage. However, it's not reasonable when you believe the political opposition is attempting to rewrite the Constitution, dismantle Western civilization and the nuclear family, stir racial animus, define heterosexual Christian men as evil, and surrender power to China. Conservatives want the same freedoms liberals enjoy. Under the guise of stopping climate change and preventing white supremacists from overthrowing our government with flagpoles, liberals proudly wear their political views and affiliation. Conservatives believe they're saving the world too. Kanye wants his family back. He should be be praying for a return of his balls. He can't see that Kim stole them. His addiction to fame clouds his vision. Don't make the mistake Kanye made. Don't marry, date, or bed a feminist. Don't let a woman blind you to the truth. On Wednesday's show,
2: why should we be happy about the new CEO of Twitter? Oh, sweet black baby Jesus, you gotta hear this one.
1: Twitter's new CEO, Parag Agaral, won't make Jack Dorsey's invention worse. Agaral will make Twitter more transparent. On Monday, Dorsey announced he's stepping down as CEO of the social media app he co-founded just 15 years ago. Attention quickly turned to the man Dorsey identified as his successor, Agaral the company's chief technology officer, the last four years. Conservative doom and gloomers moaned that Agarwal would make the left-leaning, racially divisive app even more hostile to political conservatives and white men. They pointed to a 2010 tweet from Agarwal that suggested Agarwal was quite comfortable labeling all white people as bigots. The then 26-year-old Stanford student tweeted, quote, if they're not gonna make a distinction between Muslims and extremists, then why should I distinguish between white people and racists? Yeah, like all good Twitter employees and Stanford-educated technocrats, Agarwal is certainly woke. And unlike Dorsey, Agarwal is non-white, which combined with his old tweet, justifiably spooks conservative white men. Agarwal is Indian. He was born in Ajmer, India, and raised in Mumbai. Dorsey grew up in St. Louis, attended a Catholic high school, and formulated the idea for Twitter while studying at New York University. Some people foolishly believe Dorsey's American heritage makes him slightly more reasonable about, approachable regarding, and respectful of a traditional American worldview. I'm not one of those people. Dorsey is a traitor. He doesn't believe in American exceptionalism. He's a global citizen with a globalist agenda. In his mind there's nothing sacrosanct about his country, our Constitution, Bill of Rights, or freedoms. Dorsey shares Agarwal's worldview. The differences between America and India, America and China, America and Africa, America and any place on Earth isn't in our founding documents or Western civilizations reliance on Judeo-Christian culture. It's in our willingness to cut corners, oppress, and exploit. Dorsey is every bit as woke as Agarwal. Don't let the packaging and Joe Rogan interviews fool you. Dorsey was Twitter's beard, the hood the app wore to conceal its America dismantling agenda. The destruction of American culture is an inside job. Let me put on my little Alex Jones tinfoil hat. It's an inside job! Don't blame Agarwal for what Twitter has done and will do. He's following a plan Dorsey and Twitter's co-founders agreed to the moment they headquartered in San Francisco. Agarwal's ascension to Twitter's throne should be greeted with glee and applause. Twitter has removed its hood. As Dorsey stated in a Rogan interview several years ago, Twitter is a tool to amplify voices Dorsey and the company's leadership team believe deserve amplification. Twitter's primary function is to boost the complaints of the BLM LGBTQ CRT alphabet mafia. Twitter amplifies San Francisco's worldview. The Bay Area is radical, revolutionary, and secular. Its culture isn't Judeo-Christian, it's Marxist. The Bay Area launched the Black Panther Party in the gay movement. Twitter is San Francisco's megaphone. It drowns out all other points of views. A year ago, while serving as Twitter's CTO, Akerrad was asked about protecting free speech and the First Amendment as core values. Free speech is sacrosanct in American culture. It's what makes America different and special. Here's how Agaral responded in full. I'm gonna highlight a few of his most important comments. Our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but our role is to serve a healthy public conversation and our moves are reflective of things that we believe lead to a healthier public conversation. The kinds of things that we do about this is focus less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. One of the changes today that we see is speech is easy on the internet. Most people can speak. Where our role is particularly emphasized is who can be heard. The scarce commodity today is attention. There's a lot of content out there, a lot of tweets out there. Not all of it gets attention. Some subset of it gets attention. And so, increasingly, our role is moving towards how we recommend content, and that sort of is A struggle that we're working through in terms of how we make sure these recommendation systems that we're building, how we direct people's attention is leading to a healthy public conversation that is most participatory. Let me walk you through the highlights of this. Twitter isn't bound by the First Amendment. Let me translate that statement. Twitter a company started by four American boys, Jack Dorsey, Evan Williams, Noah Gross, and Biz Stone, doesn't care about the U.S. Constitution. It's no more important than the Constitution of Cuba. Here's another highlight. Our moves are reflective of things that we believe lead to a healthier public conversation. Let me translate that. We are the smartest people on earth. We're much smarter than the American people and a small group of us can sit in our San Francisco office and determine what a healthy conversation is. How about this one? But thinking about how the times have changed? Translation, America's founding documents are outdated. Times have changed. Everything must be rewritten to fit our worldview. Where our role is particularly emphasized is who who can be heard. This is probably my most important translation here. We're going to determine who can be heard and who can't. People who foolishly believe men can have babies need to be heard, and we're going to mainstream that point of view. People who believe the police are randomly executing black men in a genocidal plot need to be heard, and we're going to amplify their voices. Here's another one. So increasingly, our role is moving towards how we recommend content, translation. We have no journalistic training or interest but we know what the public needs to know and we're going to jam that content in front of the public. Anytime a no-name rapper is shot or killed, we will make sure the world learns about it on Twitter. All right, how about this one? How we direct people's attention is leading to a healthy public conversation. Translation, in our view, Healthy healthy conversations lead to racial animus and division. The more racial division and violence we spark, the more we realize we're doing the right thing. Yeah, Agaral's ascension to lead Twitter is a blessing. It will snap people out of the false hope that Jack Dorsey would one day change or adjust the purpose of the app out of nostalgia for old American values. For at least a decade, Twitter has helped foment a conversation intended to undermine the core values of American culture. Twitter is the newspaper of the new world order.
2: On Thursday's show, Jason's going to give an interesting take on how he thinks that Keith Overman has lost his rabid ass mind. And also... He's gonna attack the problem of how the left has become unhinged when it comes to abortion. Yeah, I think both of them, they done lost their rabbit ass mind, they all crazy as hell.
1: This question that I'm starting with will seem highly partisan and inflammatory. It is asked, however, very sincerely and without malice. Has the agenda of Democrats become so secular and distant from objective truth that it causes people who adopt a liberal progressive identity to go insane. I asked this question out of genuine concern for the sanity of Keith Oberman, a broadcaster I once admired, and many people I love whose identity and worldview are tied to politics, particularly left-wing politics. Modern day progressive politics requires a rejection of objective truth and traditional Christianity. You must believe men can be women. That abortion is not an issue of morality, but of choice. That white people are God and in control of your destiny. That George Floyd is a hero and Cal Rittenhouse is a terrorist. That Donald Trump's mean tweets are an existential threat that flagpoles can be the primary weapon in a deadly insurrection. You must also believe that road cops are more le- are a more lethal threat to black men than street gangs. A rejection of truth and faith makes insanity inevitable. I'm concerned for my family and friends. I'm afraid they will go down the same path as Keith Oberman, an intelligent person forced to ignore truth to protect his political ideology and brand. Yesterday, via Twitter, Oberman used the tragic school shooting in Michigan to attack Barstool Sports and its founder Dave Portnoy. Oberman retweeted a Barstool story about a high school football player who lost his life during the school shooting while trying to protect his classmates. Oberman complained, quote, This kid died to stop a school shooter whose mother echoed the Trumpist fascism of Stool Presidente and Barstool Sports. So, uh, let me get this right. Dave Portnoy and Donald Trump radicalized a 15-year-old sophomore to shoot up Oxford High School. You need proof? Well, Oberman pointed to a 2016 blog post written by the alleged shooter's mother. The blog post praised Trump. She wrote in part, Mr. Trump, this is why I voted for you. I see the change that we desperately need. I see jobs coming back, people having to work for their handouts, money going to who really deserve it. If this blog even makes it to your eyes, thank you from the bottom of my heart. So let me get this straight. Within 48 hours, corporate media politicized the Oxford High School shooting. This is insanity mixed with a heavy dose of hypocrisy. The Daily Beast wrote a story profiling Ethan Crumley, who is white. The Daily Beast dug up the old blog post from Crumley's mother, The story included lots of information about the shooter's parents, both mom and dad. Crumley shot up his high school on Tuesday, three days ago. Let's contrast corporate media's coverage of Crumley to Daryl E. Brooks, the accused Waukesha mass murderer. Does Brooks even have parents? He committed his attack 12 days ago Has anyone written a detailed story about Brooks' upbringing, his parents' political beliefs? I can't find it. The big lie, the one the Democrats keep talking about, the biggest lie being perpetrated on the American public is that liberals are seeking racial justice. They're seeking racial division and political power through that racial division. It's not just Olbermann. Yesterday, Longtime political broadcaster Mark Lamont Hill, who does a show now on the Black News Network, I believe, he conducted an interview with two women discussing abortion rights and the Supreme Court's possible rejection of Roe versus Wade. Brittany Cooper, an associate professor at Rutgers University, turned the discussion of abortion rights into a deranged rant about political conservatives not caring about black babies and concerned about demographic anxiety. She opened her rant by taking morality off the table. Listen, watch this clip.
3: And we get caught up in the moral arguments about this, and this isn't about that. This is about our right to have self-determination and autonomy. And it is also about Lori's point, which is we wanna build strong, healthy black families. When these Republicans say that this is, you know, that abortions have killed so many black babies, y'all know they don't care about black babies. What in their in their policy <laughs> agenda is cares about black babies? They don't care about our families, right? They care about their right to control. And let me add one last thing. They also care about making white women have more children this is also about their own demographic anxiety because we know that white populations are rapidly becoming the minority Ooh. because of capital structures, folks can't support these families and because of that, they need white women to have more babies and white women are like, look, but we can't support these kids. Uh, you know, we, we can't give them these middle class lifestyles. So that's what's going on here and if that means that you have to then take away reproductive access for women of color as a byproduct of trying to control everybody Reproduction, then these men are up for the task. And we've got to stand up and we've got to oh, say wow. hell no.
1: When I first saw this, I, I, I'm not kidding. The visual image made me go: is this like a Saturday Night Live skit, an in-living color skit? And, and I'm just just the visual image is like, this is a joke. But but it's really an example, Cooper is an example of where hyper-secularism leads. Morality is a non-issue. Morality is just an impediment to freedom, pleasure, and political identity. In their mind. In my mind, morality ended slavery. Jim Crow gave women the right to vote, made domestic violence taboo. Now we don't need morals. No reason to get caught up in morality. The left is unhinged. Keith Olbermann's descent into lunacy epitomizes where the left is headed. During the 1990s, Olbermann was one of the best sports broadcasters in America. He and Dan Patrick co-hosted a lively and fun version of ESPN Sports Center. Olbermann later moved to Fox Sports and led that network's coverage of Major League Baseball. In the early 2000s, Hell, I enjoyed Oberman's work at MSNBC when he pivoted to politics and became a liberal firebrand and President George W. Bush's harshest critic. During that era, I made frequent appearances on all of the cable news networks, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. You did not have to agree with the host to appear on their show or network. I was and am a political free agent. When Oberman left MSNBC to rejoin ESPN in 2013, I was honored to be the very first guest on his nightly ESPN show, Oberman. Whether I agreed or disagreed with Oberman, I found him extremely intelligent and thought of him as honest. That is no longer the case. Oberman is crazed. He frequently says and does things that make me question his mental stability. It would be easy to blame it on Trump derangement syndrome. The rise of America's 45th president has certainly frustrated leftists. But Trump derangement is a symptom of a much larger problem. It's the detachment from reality and God that has short-circuited leftists. You can't live a lie, defend lies, build arguments on lies and have truths and remain sane.
2: Friday's show was what we call being unscripted. That means that Jason just spit it straight off the dome. But nonetheless, she's going to be talking about uh, Antonio Brown's NFL suspension and how it shouldn't be compared to the situation involving Aaron Rodgers. My guy might have went out there a little bit for my personal satisfaction, but somehow or another, he wheeled it back in. you got to hear this. One.
1: Aaron Rodgers situation. And it's it's funny that I'm saying the Antonio Brown, Aaron Rodgers situation because these two, although they're both related to COVID, they really have nothing to do with each other. It's kind of crazy how people have, I saw a Sports Illustrated story that was basically asking the question of uh, why did Antonio Brown get a three game suspension for violating COVID protocols and a fake vaccine card allegedly. And why did Aaron Rodgers only get a $14,000 fine for misleading the media on his vaccination status? This is a stupid question. It's only being asked because we love, we're obsessed now in the media and across social media with anything that happens to a black person. We immediately have to say, oh, well, a white guy did it and nothing happened to him. Antonio Brown and Aaron Rodgers are two completely different people, situations, two different crimes. Aaron Rodgers, if anything, committed a misdemeanor when he told the media that he was immunized. Aaron Rodgers, by all reports, didn't lie to his teammates, Didn't lie to the NFL, didn't lie to the Green Bay Packers, didn't lie to his coaching staff. He told them exactly what was going on with him. He chose to mislead the media. That's not a felony. I would hate to even call it a misdemeanor. The media chooses every day to mislead the public. So what went on with Aaron Rodgers and uh, Antonio Brown? They're not analogous. Antonio Brown misled his team, according to all the allegations, misled the NFL provided a fake vaccination card. He lied to his employer. The media, nor the public, we're not the employer of Aaron Rodgers. So, A.B., and, I mean, and then, I, I hate to put these facts into the air, but let's go look at Antonio Brown's rap sheet versus Aaron Rodgers' rap sheet. Let's take race completely out of the equation. Race is not appropriate for this discussion. And that's the only thing that could be making people want to ask this question, Sports Illustrated want to ask this question. Aaron Rodgers didn't get suspended, Antonio Brown did. What's, why, does the NFL look bad? Does it look biased because Aaron Rodgers is a franchise quarterback? Aaron Rodgers has no history of getting on the wrong side of the Green Bay Packers or the NFL. Or law enforcement. AB has a horrible track record in history. He's had problems with the police, he's had problems with teammates, he's had problems with girlfriends, he's threatened violence, he's been involved in what could only be domestic incidents, accusations from massage therapists that he violated him. He's been involved in all kinds of things. Look what he got into with, with the Raiders and calling uh, Mike Mayock a cracker, if my memory serves. Any, Antonio Brown's rap sheet is so long that there's no wonder the NFL slapped him with a three-game suspension. And, and you got to understand something. For the first time in my life or in his career, I'm actually on a side. I don't have a problem with him providing a fake vaccination card. I don't think he's, he's far from alone. Two other guys got tagged with the same thing, the same three-game suspension. It's pervasive throughout the NFL. Throughout the NBA, I would, I would imagine as well. Throughout professional sports. Hats off. It's one, getting the fake vaccination card is one of the few things that uh, Antonio Brown has done that I actually like and respect. But let's don't try to muddy the waters here and go, oh, I wonder why the NFL is cracking down on him. Is this racism? And they didn't treat Aaron Rodgers the same way. That's a joke. A B in NFL circles or he's a habitual line stepper, line cutter, habitual criminal. His rap sheet and the problems and the negative headlines that go along with Aaron uh, with Antonio Brown is as long as anybody's in the NFL. That's why they got him with a three-game suspension. And the three-game suspension ain't really a three-game suspension. He was going to miss the next two games with an ankle injury anyway. It's a one-game suspension. Now, he's missing three paychecks. But let's don't be foolish here and start feeling sorry for Antonio Brown because he finally... Or not finally, but he once again got his hand slapped by the NFL. Let's don't forget who Antonio Brown is and let's don't smear who Aaron Rodgers is uh, just because the media doesn't like him and because the media feels misled by him and because he doesn't get along with his parents or some of his teammates think he's aloof. Those aren't crimes. A guy goes into court in front of a judge with a long criminal history, and a guy goes in as a first-time offender on, oh, we caught you speeding, we caught you going 62 and a 55, and that's what happened to Aaron Rodgers. He was pulled over for going 62 and a 55. That's what misleading the media and not wearing a mask at press conferences. It's going 62 and a 55. Let's don't be shocked that they didn't throw the book at Aaron Rodgers and they didn't suspend him. He didn't deserve it. All right, go to
2: YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. And join the fearless army and get the new fearless swag gear. Remember, Uncle Jim wants you to join his army. Hit the like button.